Hello. For anyone who can't read my name tag, my name is not Alan. In case if you didn't know, my name is Taylor, and Alan has asked me to uh, read the scripture for today's sermon. And so we will be starting in Acts 16, well, it will be 16, 16 through 40, on page 925 in the Bibles and the chairs and the pews. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who are in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and they have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Thank you, Taylor. Good morning. Are we good, Mark? Yeah, that sounds good. It's great to be here uh, with you this morning to worship together, to be in God's Word together, to encourage one another. I pray that this message out of the book of Acts would be encouraging to you uh, or convicting where it needs to be. Uh, Whenever you preach or teach, you know that you yourself are the first listener, right? You're the first person that's hearing it. And uh, this, this passage was convicting for me. And so I pray that it will be for you as well. I wanted to just uh, share a, a quick story about uh, life on the farm. Uh, you might know that I grew up on a dairy farm about 40 minutes south of here. 
And in the springtime, you'd go out to plow the fields. And it was a, a little bit of a dry spring. And so we thought we could plow this field a little bit more, take a little bit more land than had plowed before. And uh, we have a creek that runs through the, the farm. And so we were going to get a little bit closer to the creek that normally was too swampy to, to farm. But if we could get more crops in, that's a good thing. And we were plowing uh, this particular area, and the tractor got stuck. We hit a sinkhole. We hit a wet spot, and the tires went down, and the tractor was completely uh, submerged in the mud. And when you have your biggest tractor that gets stuck, you're in trouble because when you get other tractors stuck, you bring out the bigger tractor, and you pull them out, and it's normally not a problem. But when your biggest tractor is stuck in the mud, um, that was something that we weren't sure that we had a solution for. And so uh, I thought this was just genius. One of, one of my cousins had this idea, and we, they took a torch, and they put a hole in the rim of the tire, this big cast iron rim, and we put a big metal cable into the, the hole of the tire, and we found a tree that was a, a little ways off that we were able to attach it to. And the tractor itself, then by its own power, was able to use that rope and the tree as a way to winch itself out of that mud hole that we otherwise had no ability to get it out of. And I was thinking about that because when we're in hard circumstances, when we are going through tough times, how do you get yourself out of it? Somebody this last week just asked me, what gets you up in the morning? Why do you get up? Why do you get up and why do you do the things you do? Everybody has kind of a motivation, a reason for doing things. But that tree for us, that solid point that, we, that is our rock that we can reference, that we can go to, that we can hang on to to pull us out, is Jesus Christ. And so as we, we see in this passage, the, the reason I titled this Life in the Spirit is because as we as Christians, if we're going to get through this world, as Troy was just preaching or praying through all these hardships, these things that are happening, uh, there's fires, there's tornadoes, there's... Um, you know, hurricane coming in, there's all kinds of catastrophes around the world. You know, as we look at the news in our nation, you know, we see hardship and trouble, oppression at times. But when we live in the spirit, when we put our mind on God, and we are trusting him for every circumstance, it causes us to think about life in a different way. It puts us in a different place. No matter how big the sinkhole is, no matter how much mud is around us, no matter how helpless or hopeless it might look, when we attach ourselves to Christ, we have a way to go. And so that's what we're going to see here through Paul and Silas' example of how God uses them in the town of Philippi to minister to the jailer. Let me pray one more time. Father, we thank you for this time to be together. We thank you so much for your word. God, that these very words that you have to us, we have it written and recorded. So many promises, so many reminders so much truth for us. And I pray, God, that more and more we will have a love for your word, a hunger, a thirst for your word, that when we live our lives, we can go to it, we can be reminded of it. We will not be filled with hopelessness or despair, but we will have great courage and joy and delight in the proclamation of the gospel in both what we say and how we live. Amen. So we have Paul and Silas on this missionary journey, and they're in this town of Philippi, 
and um, they're going about and they're, they're ministering. Uh, you see that they, they start out at a, at a prayer meeting and they're trying to find places where people already would be gathering together for religious purposes because you already have some agreement. You already notice that there's going to be people that have some kind of alignment with God or with a higher power. And so that oftentimes is a good place to start if you're thinking evangelistically. Where are there people already that are kind of seeking or searching for God? And then as they move on from there, um, it's very interesting that they, there's this demon-possessed woman that is calling out to them. This demon-possessed woman is saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And uh, the way the ESV translates that, it says that Paul was greatly annoyed by this woman. He was greatly annoyed by this woman. The King James Version says that he was grieved. And I'm not sure exactly what Paul was thinking or what his motivation was in responding to her. But I think at least two things at least come to my mind. One is that as Christians, we have no participation with demonic activity, no participation with evil or darkness. And no matter what this woman is saying, Paul would want nothing of his message or what he's proclaiming. He would not want her to be any kind of part of that because of what she represents, being uh, oppressed by, by a demon herself. And so I think at least partly Paul is trying to get some distance so there's no confusion of association between himself and this woman. But I think secondly, in the way that he responds to her, is he responds in compassion. He doesn't just shoo her away. He doesn't give her a stern word. Recognize that there's a demon that is living inside of this woman. So the way that he can best minister to her is to deliver her from this demonic oppression. And so in the name of Jesus, we have the power and authority to do these things in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, he casts this demon out of this woman. This woman was caught in a, in, in a double slavery. One, she was enslaved to this demon, and then she was enslaved to these masters who were using her for profit. You see, the, the demonic warfare, the spiritual realm, includes Satan and his demons. And they've been around almost from the very beginning of time. And so demons have great knowledge of events. They've been around for the, the history of all time. And so you can imagine if you know, if you've experienced all people over the course of thousands of years, you certainly have a way of predicting the future based on what you have seen and experienced. So this is a little bit more than your run-of-the-mill going to the circus and, uh, and, and paying a few dollars and see if the person there can predict something mundane about your life. But you know how they do. They ask a few questions. They pick up on some clues, some tells or some signs. And then somebody can kind of make a generic statement, you know. Oh, you're from Wisconsin. Uh, I, I bet you like cheese. This is something, you know, much stronger than that. And so, uh, as I understood it, and just, just in reading some more historically, is that the Romans especially would call on people like this as they're going into battle, as they're going into fight. They would ask, they would go to somebody like this, hey, tell us, are we going to have victory as we go into battle against this other group? Or should we launch an attack over here? And uh, somebody with a demonic spirit might 
uh, would, would give an answer to that. Now, they can't predict, predict the future. They cannot read people's minds. But again, using knowledge of past events and what they're aware of, they can give information that would sound very intriguing, very close to the truth. And so these people were making a great amount of money using this woman. They were using her to make income for themselves. And Paul had compassion on this woman and cast the demon out of her. She was free from that demon. Now, I don't know what happened to her after this, but at least she is free of that demonic oppression. And it's important for us as Christians, I think, as we look at this text to be aware that demonic activity happens today. I was surprised to read in some statistics that uh, there's a pretty good percentage of Christians that don't even believe that the devil exists, let alone demonic activity. And so just a couple of scriptures as we just think about what does the Bible say about Satan and about demons so that we are aware. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, do not be outwitted by Satan and his schemes. It's talking about divisions within the church. Don't allow yourselves to become divided. Okay, it is a scheme of the devil. Division is of the devil. Do not be outwitted by him. Satan is also a deceiver in 2 Corinthians 11.3. The serpent deceived Eve, and be careful because he also could deceive you. Deception is a trick of the devil. It's a work of the devil to give you something that looks like the truth or to cause you to question the truth. Hey, maybe there's something else here. Be cautious of that. The devil is a liar in John 8.44. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, and there is no truth in him. He is the prince of lies. The devil is also an accuser. In the book of Revelation tells us that Satan's role as an accuser. It says in Revelation 12.10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And we know that even now, the devil and his demons use this tactic to try to get you to feel guilty or unforgiven for past sins that you've had. But we know that there is no sin that stands against us because the blood of Christ has washed us clean. And so we, we reject any accusation of Satan against us. And lastly, Satan also is a destroyer. He wants to destroy every work of God. He wants to destroy every child of God. In John 10.10, it says the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give them life and to give it to the full. And in 1 Peter 5.8, it says to be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We are in a battle. We are in a war, but it is a spiritual one. So for us as Christians, we need to keep our mind in the spiritual realm, focused on the spiritual realm. About seven years ago, we had uh, some teenagers that were coming to the youth group, and their dad had tragically passed away. It was actually how I first met them was through the funeral, and these kids started to come to the youth group, and uh, it was obviously very sad as a teenager to have your dad die, 
they, they missed him so much, wanted him to return and to be back with him. And about a year after the dad had passed away, these uh, young kids had gotten an invitation from a relative who lived down by Madison. They got an invitation to come listen to a medium who said, we can contact your dad and you can hear his voice and you can talk to him. And, and these kids reached out to me and said, hey, we, you know, we can we get a chance to go talk to our dad. And I pleaded with these young people. I probably, probably seemed like the house was on fire, okay? So I, my, my reaction was so strong to it. I was like, please do not do this. You are not going to be talking to your dad. You're going to be talking to a demon. You're going to be opening yourself up to spiritual attack, to, to oppression or to demonic influence. And, and I just hated it for them because you can understand the appeal and the draw, the attraction to want to go listen and hear their dad's voice one more time. The devil use anything he can to draw the Christian away from our affections for God. He can use something very mundane. He can use, like he did for these masters, he can use success. He can use money. He can use sentimentalism. He can use hobbies. He can use whatever kind of business, whatever thing he can get you to do to not put your worship on God. And let us be aware of that. Let us pray against and be sober-minded to be aware of what the devil is attempting to do. It says in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. And by the way, these, these kids did not go down and do that. And I'm thankful for that. They continued to be a part of uh, the youth group and to grow in their faith. And, um, and so I'm thankful for that. And, uh, and I hope we would continue to encourage people you know, to follow Jesus closely. But in, second, uh, sorry, in 1 John 2, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all this is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. So, uh, at the beginning of this text, we see that Paul does this deliverance. He does a great thing, a compassionate thing, a powerful work of the Spirit to deliver this woman of the demon, and it sets off this chain of events. So the people recognize, hey, we're no longer going to make money off this woman because she no longer has the power and ability she had with the demon living in her. And so they're upset about it. Their, their idol has been threatened. They're losing money and power and influence, and so they go after Paul and Silas. And though these guys have done nothing illegal... They want to stop them. They want to get revenge back on them. And so they kind of put together a kangaroo court. They get a little mob together. I mean, we, saw, we saw all these things happen before against Jesus, right? And so uh, the magistrates, the leaders uh, of the community come together. They, they hear the case and they hear the cause. They don't, they don't put them on trial. It's not fair. It's rigged. These guys are being persecuted because they're Jews, because they love God, and they're beaten. They have them beaten with a rod, and they are put into jail. In fact, uh, the, the security they're put in is into the inner dungeon of this jail, and their st- stocks are put, a, put around them. And so what, what I imagine is that 
These guys are beaten, they're bloodied, they're falsely accused, they're put into this prison that's on, on the inside, the most secure part of the jail possible, and then they're you know, forced to sit down and then their legs are put into some kind of stock, something that would clamp down over their ankles so they couldn't even stand up. And so you just imagine all your rights being taken away, being falsely accused, being beaten, thrown in jail, totally uncertain of what's going to happen after this. And you just think about how you would respond to that. And we see the response, don't we? In verse 25, this is how Paul and Silas respond. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I don't know about y'all. I was just in Texas last week, all right? I don't know about y'all, but that doesn't strike me as the way initially I think I'm going to respond to that situation. But again, as we come back to having a spiritual mind, living as a spiritual person, this is a spiritual response. Paul and Silas did not respond out of their flesh, but they responded in a way that can only happen by a spirit-filled person. So they're not, you know, wanting revenge. They're not up there uh, demanding their rights. They're not demanding anything for themselves, but they are praying and they're singing songs. And isn't it so true that scripture and music become more and more alive the more that you are under pressure, the more that you are suffering or more that you're, that you're challenged in your circumstances? I mean, there have been a number of people, a number of people right even here who have given testimony about a song that's meant so much to them when they're going through hardship or certain scriptures that became more alive to them than ever as they endured maybe a job loss or were going through a tough physical condition like cancer. Or maybe they were praying so fervently uh, for maybe kids who are going through a hardship or whatever it might be. Hardships bring us closer to God. They increase our dependence upon the Lord. And I wonder sometimes if that's why it's tough for us to come in and sing these songs because we don't have a connection to them. We're not going through something. We're not struggling in some way. We're not, our dependence isn't maybe at a high point in our lives, and so these songs don't really connect with us. But as we get into pressure situations, as God allows us to go through trials and hardships, those songs become more and more dear to us. Our prayers become more fervent. These men have a spiritual mind. They were thinking at the spiritual level, not at their flesh or earthly level. And so uh, God delivers them through an earthquake. So these guys are singing. They are praying. The prisoners are listening to them. And then this jailer is sleeping. This jailer, this foreman, former Roman soldier, this uh, former centurion, this would have been a harsh man. A man who had no compassion or empathy over people. He oversaw the beating of Paul and Silas. He had no problem putting them, on, you know, not caring for their wounds, to put them in stocks, put them in a bad circumstance, not caring what their circumstances were. You had to be a hard man to be a jailer. A man who wasn't concerned about feelings or people's rights, but his responsibility 
was only to make sure that they did not escape. And so he had them securely fastened in the inner part of the, of the cell, and he took a sleep. He went to sleep. And this earthquake comes. Now, earthquakes, uh, it's not like Wisconsin, like if we have an earthquake happen, like what is going on? Earthquakes wouldn't have been uh, super uncommon there, but w- whether God supernaturally caused it to happen, whatever the case may be, this earthquake caused all the doors to open, the shackles to come off, and Paul and Silas were free. All the prisoners would have been able to go at this point. And you think, you're Paul and Silas, you're justified. Like, hey, God, thank you. You heard our cries. You have delivered us. We're walking out of this place. We shouldn't have been here in the first place, right? But when those doors are opened and the earthquake startles the jailer to alertness, and he sees that the doors are open, he doesn't know if everybody's left or what's going on, but he knows that if he loses any of these people, then his life is going to be taken from him. And so he's thinking, I'm just going to kill myself right now because I don't know what they're going to do to me before they kill me. And so he draws his sword to kill himself, and Paul cries out, don't do it. Don't kill yourself. Don't take your life. We're all here. We're okay. What kind of prayers were these guys praying? What kind of mind did they have that the person who just inflicted pain upon you was keeping you locked up, that Paul could have a heart to say, don't kill yourself. I want good for you. The most important thing that could happen to this man is for him to know Jesus. And so Paul and Silas, in the worst of conditions, are demonstrating compassion and love and concern. They're demonstrating how to praise God in difficult circumstances. There is no doubt that this jailer now sees that there is something different about these guys. And the scales are lifted from his eyes. The spirit moves in on this man. And he asks this question, what must I do to be saved? I often, I often tell young people uh, at youth group, I say the second most important decision of your life is who you're going to marry. Marriage is second most important. It affects every area of your life. That's, that's a really important one. Make sure that you really think that one through. Get a lot of feedback and input on that. Go into it really slowly. The, but the most important, the most important question of everybody's life, who will you serve? Who will you worship? Who is going to be Lord of your life? And for this man, up until this moment, it was success. It was climbing the ladder. It was profit. You know, his God was himself. And in this moment, God changes his heart. And he has these two men right here who have demonstrated what it is to love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so when he he has that moment of understanding, he asks them, what must I do to be saved? And the response, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we pray that we would have these kinds of opportunities. And you recognize here, as the passage goes on, that this man truly had a change of heart. This man who was harsh just hours before this, now he is tenderly taking care of the wounds of Paul and Silas. The stripes that he had inflicted on these men, he is now caring for them. He invited them into his home. 
And these guys got a chance to preach the gospel to the jailer's household, to his family. The, likely the jailer would have lived right in a building connected to the jail. And so they come in, they're able to share the gospel with them, the good news. They respond, his whole household responds in faith. And then this man and his family are baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a tremendous, tremendous story of somebody who, in unlikely circumstances, I mean, just think about this. If Paul and Silas resist this, I mean, how else are they getting into the jail to witness to this jailer? And you just might kind of start to dream and to think, whatever situations are going on in your life, I don't know why I'm here. Why is this happening in your life? Maybe stop and take a thought and say, hey, God, are you leading me into a place because you want to be a witness to somebody? Do you want to be a testimony? Are you going to give me an opportunity because I'm in this place I don't think I should be? Is this so I can be a, a witness or share the gospel with somebody? I think when we have a spiritual mind, we can start to appreciate and understand, God, hey, you might be leading me somewhere for your good, for your glory. So let me pump the brakes on what I think needs to be happening and ask you, God, is this, is this for your purpose? Are you taking me here for a specific reason, God? Because I do not want to miss out, God, on what you're doing, wanting to do into and through me for your glory. So I just want to give you a couple things as we consider. Uh, Paul and Silas here really well loved God and loved people. Because we know how much God loves his people. He loves his creation. He desires for them to be saved. And he is using us as his ambassadors. It says in the scriptures we are his ambassadors. We are his, we are ministers of the gospel. So I'm going to give you a few things, just a couple things here to help us be in a spiritual mind. That if God brings us into these opportunities, that we'll be prepared in the same way Paul and Silas were. Uh, One is to read your Bible. We, I know we say, we say this a lot, but there's just no substitute for God's word, either to be listening to it, to be reading it, to be memorizing it, for us to understand the mind of God, the heart of God. His will for our lives comes through the scriptures. I know sometimes uh, I, I listen to a little bit of uh, more of uh, news on the radio than I normally do, but when you're, we travel down to Texas and you just have a lot of car time, and so I, was, I thought, oh, I'll listen to the news a little bit. It's kind of discouraging. And I, I tell you, some of the things, the, respo- the way that people encourage you to respond to the way things are happening, is like, that's not from God. That is not from God. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to spend more time in the Word than I do in the news. I just want to encourage you, if you watch a lot of news, uh, one, stop it. But two, I'd encourage you to read your news. Read your news and not watch it because there's a lot of hand-wringing and, you know, concern about what's happened in our country. And do you not know that God is aware of these things? God is aware of these things. He has a purpose and a plan for what he's doing. And let us not be so concerned about this or that or this politician or this action or what's being taken away. But let us press into God and ask, what will he do with our church what would he, what, how would he like our church to respond to the hardships and the things that are happening around us? Let us not be so focused on the events 
that we miss out on what God might be wanting to do through us. And so we, we draw that awareness, that spirit leading, that knowledge from the scriptures. These things that are happening are not new. I mean, persecution, hardships, trials are not new, okay? And we see it right here in Acts 16. Secondly, pray. We, we try to have a lot of prayer in our service. We're trying to be more and more of a praying church because we know that through prayer, God changes our hearts. And this is one of the toughest disciplines for Christians to take time to pray. But as you think about things, have a reflex of prayer. Just offer all things up in prayer to God and watch how he's at work. He chips away at our stubbornness, at our hard-heartedness. Start praying for people that you don't like. It's amazing. Don't have such an attitude towards somebody, anybody, that you can't pray for them. Because who knows, one day God might give you an opportunity in their company to share the gospel with them. So pray. Uh, third, practice regular repentance. One of the things that keeps us from being filled with the Spirit and living in the Spirit is sinful activity that, that we do not confess. We know that anything, anytime we confess of sin, we are going to be forgiven of it. And so uh, be quick to confess sin. And then fourth, God does some of his best work in the dirt. So don't be afraid to work in the dirt. What I mean by that is difficult circumstances. Don't be afraid to be in difficult circumstances because God might be using you to reach somebody that otherwise wouldn't get reached. In that, um, God uses difficulty not only to draw us closer to him, but to put us in presence of people that we might not normally associate with. And so, uh, as God does his hard work in hard places, let's not be afraid to join him and make ourselves available to that. I'm going to ask uh, Jerry to come up and pray as we close uh, this service and the music team. I'm going to ask the music team to come up. I want, I want to give you a little bit of encouragement here from um, this article that I read about privilege and hardship and the gospel. And this is called Proof That Political Privilege is Harmful for Christianity. And what it's talking about is that sometimes we want our government to you know, ensure us that we have a lot of freedoms. And I think it's good. You know, we want freedom for people to worship. But I also want to encourage you that around the world, where people do not have freedom of worship, where Christianity is just one of the many options for people, that we see that the gospel is thriving in places where there's plurality. And uh, apparently I've lost my place here with it. But what I would encourage you to do is think about a place, uh, Korea, South Korea. The gospel and the churches are thriving in South Korea. They've endured hardship, persecution, and now the church is growing. They're uh, having more and more churches, more and more seminaries. South Korea is the second largest country in sending missionaries behind the United States. So we know that oftentimes God uses hardships to grow the church. And sometimes affluence and prosperity causes the church to be soft. 
So I just want to encourage you Christians, don't, don't resist hardships, don't resist what God might be bringing to us as a good thing to strengthen us, to grow our dependence upon him. I asked Jerry to come and pray. I noticed one of the things that uh, is easy for me to do at times is to lose a heart for the lost. That sometimes I wane in my praying for people to know the Lord. And so I asked Jerry to come and to, uh, to pray for that. Thank you, Matt. Good morning, family. Jerry Solfest, I have the honor and privilege to lead us in prayer. Let us go into prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful morning. Lord, for this divine appointment to come before you. Lord, just thank you. What a miracle and a blessing it is to be able to come before you, Lord, and lift up supplication and prayer requests to the one who knows all things, who is all-powerful and present everywhere. But Lord, the foundation of you and how we know you is that you are a father. You, as a father, directs his child and leads them up in goodness, righteousness, and truth. We know that you are working in your delight, in your pleasure. That is your body. That is us, your church. Father, thank you so much for all you're doing in our lives. The intricate work, the highs and the lows. You're the God of the valley of the highs and the valley. Lord, the lows. You're working in the dirt, as Alan said. Thank you so much for the message that we received this morning. And Lord, a lot of times we don't understand what's going on in our country. We don't understand what's going on in the world. But yet you are the upright kingdom. We have the upside-down kingdom. Lord, and I just pray that we would connect with you, Lord, in spirit and truth, that we would come to you, pray to you, and Lord, that we would seek your will for our lives. Father God, I pray for the lost. I pray that you would cultivate these hard hearts. Lord, that you would use us to make your appeal to them. Lord, that they would see you working in us. And constantly, Lord, there's people that come to me and see the love and the joy and the peace that you've placed in me. And they say, I want that. May we all always be ready and willing to give the reason why we believe in you. And that takes prayer. That takes connection, communion, community with you, Father, knowing you. Lord, I pray we would read your word. We wouldn't just read it as a textbook, but we would read it as you are talking to us, speaking to our spirit, and showing us what you want us to be. Lord, I love Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. You say you have plans for us, plans to prosper and not for harm. Lord, you are here to help us, to grow us. But you call us to come to you, to call upon your name and pray to you. Pray we would be a praying family. But Lord, I just pray for those lost that you would send us to them. You call us to pray to you to send out the laborers in the harvest. Lord, what I see, what you're showing me constantly is a harvest field ready to be plucked. I pray we would be the laborers you send out. Lord, I pray that you'd convict and stir us up and lead us into the ministry, the person in front of us. We love you so much, Father. Thank you so much for this body to belong to. Cultivate love, righteousness, goodness, and truth in us. And let us always remember... Keep the main one the main one. Lord, you are our focus. You are the center of our life. You are life in abundance. We love you. We praise you. And in your holy and almighty name, Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen.